from the Common English Bible. It's found on page 7 in your order of worship. Has this been turned down? Open the gates of righteousness for me so I can come in and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. Those who are righteous enter through it. I thank you because you answered me, because you were my saving help. The stone rejected by the builders is now the main foundation stone. This has happened because of the Lord. It is astounding in our sight. This is the day the Lord acted. We will rejoice and celebrate in it. Lord, please save us. Lord, please let us succeed. The one who enters in the Lord's name is blessed. And we bless all of you from the Lord's house. The Lord is God. He has shined a light on us. And so lead the festival offering with ropes all the way to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will lift you up high. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good, because his faithful love lasts forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Garth. So over the last few weeks of Lent, we have been journeying together, juxtaposing some modern versions of Paul's bad list of fruits that can be present in our lives with Paul's timeless list of the fruit of the Spirit. We've thought about things such as social media as what we should fast from so that we might feast on self-control. Give up hostility, fast from it so that you might feast on kindness, judgmentalism, trade it for gentleness. Self-preservation for faithfulness. This week we're going to talk about what it means for us to fast from greed so that we might feast on gratitude. There's a story about a young boy whose grandfather gave him $2 and on a hot July day told him that he could go down to the ice cream store and with his $2 he could buy himself an ice cream and one for his little sister. On the way to the ice cream shop, though, one of the dollar bills fell out of his pocket, which meant that he only had one dollar to buy an ice cream cone. So he bought an ice cream cone, started back towards his grandfather's house. He was licking his ice cream cone as he came into his grandfather's house, and his grandfather looked at him and asked him what happened. And the little boy said, well, sister's dollar fell out of my pocket, but thank God mine was still there, right? In case you didn't know it, the Christian tradition has long held that the position, or long held the position that greed is one of the seven cardinal or deadly sins. It is listed as that because it is it is a sin of desire. It is a sin that is classified as self-serving. You only think about yourself when it comes to greed. 
It is avarice for more than what you actually need to survive. It is the accumulation of more than what you actually need to just basically make it through life. And in the assumption of having more than what you need, it means that we also might rob others of what they need. Gandhi had a a saying about this. Gandhi once said that earth provides enough to satisfy every human need, but not every human greed. It's kind of an interesting way to think about life and how we uh, can be a people that can have way too much. And I think we certainly all know that we live in a time where we can consume as much as we desire. Many of us, almost all of us, we have enough disposable income that we can consume more than what we need as the basis of our lives. We live in a time that's unprecedented in the rise of things like the stock market. I remember when I was a young person and we thought the stock market would never make it past two or 3,000, right? And then it made it to five, and then it made it to 10, and then we thought, oh, it would never go past 10, and where is it at now? Right? These kinds of, of increases that we just cannot realize or fathom. It's as if the heyday of the 1980s were back when we used to believe the line that greed is... Say it again. Good, right? How many of you remember where that line came from? A few of you, right? came from a 1987 movie titled Wall Street. Now you remember, right? It was, about a, it was a movie about an ambitious young stockbroker played by Charlie Sheen and his mentor, his greedy mentor played by, anybody remember? Michael Douglas, right? Michael Douglas's character name was? Gordon Gecko. What a name, huh? Gordon Gecko. If you remember, Gordon Gecko was a wealthy, unscrupulous corporate raider, right? And in the particular scene where this line comes from, he is at a stockholders meeting for a company called Teldar Paper. Gecko has become the single largest shareholder of this paper company, and as such, he gets an opportunity to give his little speech. And so he gets up to give a speech, and he, first he starts by chiding the president of the company. The president of Teldar Paper makes millions of dollars and yet invests almost nothing of his own earnings back into the company itself. He owns no stock for Teldar Paper. So he gets all over the president for that. Then he turns his attention on the 33 vice presidents of the company who make over $200,000 on average per year. And he says to them, my biggest beef with you is, is I've looked at the organizational chart and I have no idea what any of you contribute to the organization, right? And then he turns it around. He says, especially in a company whose current business model loses $110 million a year, right? So he has positioned the whole management team as a people who cannot figure out how to run this company. But he has an idea how to do it, right? So he turns his sight to the stockholders, and he looks at the stockholders, and he says, In my last seven business deals, the combined 2.5 million stockholders have made a pre-tax profit of $12 billion. And, of course, all the stockholders do what? Right? They start clapping for good old Gordon Gecko, the savior of the stockholder. And here's what we remember the most, though, is his speech that goes on after that. He says to them, I am not the destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for the lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed 
clarifies, cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward movement and surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the U.S. of A. Thank you. And then he sits down. Greed is good. Is greed really good, friends? If you define greed, if you look up the definition of greed, greed is defined as intense and selfish desire for something, whether it be wealth, power, or food. Greed views life from the angle of what is missing, what you either don't have or don't have enough of. Therefore, greed consumes, consumes time, focus, energy in pursuit of what you don't have or don't have enough of. Therefore, greed is solely a taker. It contributes nothing to the benefit or the welfare of others. Greed is a bad fruit, according to Paul. It's a vice, according to Paul. If you look at the opening lines of Psalm 118, it says this, the very first verse. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good, because his faithful love will last forever. You see, what I propose to you, dear friends, and I think you all intuitively know this, is the opposite of greed is gratitude. And that we, as followers of Christ, are invited by God to fast from greed so that we might feast, be producers of the spiritual fruit of gratitude. Because greed and gratitude cannot inhabit the same space. They cannot inhabit the same soul. So the psalmist goes on to say, Open the gates of righteousness so that I may come in and give thanks to the Lord. The psalmist sees in his life the necessity of living in a way that gives thanks to God for all things. And I I think it's predicated on a couple of things that you see in this psalm. Number one is the goodness and the steadfast faithfulness of God. The psalmist is thankful for that. Now, most of you know that Margaret and I periodically get the opportunity to travel out of town. We go for vacations or we go to family events. And we are fortunate enough to have someone who comes and stays at our home. And they stay with our little dog, Sadie, and our cat, Sienna. And they take over the duties of feeding them and caring for them. But it's always fun to come home because when we come home, Sadie is so excited to see us. Her little brown ears are just pinned back. Her tail is waggling all over the place. She's jumping up and down. She goes in and out the door six times looking to see if we're actually home. She is so excited to see us. The cat, the cat could care less that we are home, right? Put a little food in my bowl. Let me in when I want in. Let me out when I want in. He doesn't care who it is. But our dog... She loves that we are home, right? We've been gone for several days. We aren't the ones who have fed her. We aren't the ones who have pet her. We haven't brushed her, walked her. We haven't done any of these things for us. Someone else took over those responsibilities and duties while we were absent. And yet she still loves us when we get home. Steadfast and faithful. No, God is not a dog. But if you think about Sadie emulating some of the characteristics of God's steadfast, 
faithful love for us. The love that God has for every single one of us. Even in the times where we might go absent, when we might wander away from worship or prayer or learning or serving God, God's goodness and faithfulness are still there, present, waiting for us to return so that we might be able to inhabit that love and that faithfulness. And from it be grateful. Grateful that God is always present and there. And thankful. The psalmist was thankful that God was his deliverer, right? And one of the things I want you to notice about this was the fact that the psalmist did not keep that a secret. He had to go and tell everyone that God was a deliverer. The psalmist wanted everyone to know this fact. And we who believe in Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, as the one who has delivered us from sin and death, we should have that same kind of flair in our life. Be willing to tell anyone that we have experienced the salvation of God. We need to be people who not only think of ourselves when it comes to salvation, but think of others as well. And we're willing to tell others about this story. There's a story about a group of church members that went traveling through Turkey, and they went to go see the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation by John the Revealer. And as their bus went down a dusty road, they noticed a man up ahead that was riding a camel. And so they thought it would be interesting to just stop and take a picture of this guy riding on a camel. And so they got the bus driver to stop, and they got off the bus, a bunch of them, and they went around to take a picture of this man. But one of the things that they noticed real quickly was it was not only a man riding his camel, but it was his wife also walking behind him. And so they asked the bus driver to quickly interpret a, a question for them. Why is it the wife isn't riding the camel, right? To which the man replied, well, it's simple. She doesn't own a camel. Right? To think about others. And how we, through God's salvation, should be people who have our eyes opened to the need of the world around us. The Lord is not only our salvation, the Lord is the Savior of the world, and we should be ones who share this message as an act of gratitude to God. See, I think that's the real message for all of us today, dear friends. The message is that we should all learn to live life from the perspective of what we have that we are grateful for, not from the perspective of what we are missing or think we might need. Because gratitude, I believe, can be contagious. Greed, we know, temporarily satisfies the heart that it emanates from. It thinks of self, enables us, or keeps us from enabling us to think of others. Gratitude, we know, enables us to think of others. It is a fruit that can nourish the world around us. It is a fruit that can come forth from us and feed the world. There's a story about a California attorney by the name of John Kralik, and, and John Kralik was actually interviewed for an article that was in last, one of last year's United Methodist Interpreter magazines. There was one that was dedicated to the, the thought of being people who are gracious and live in gratitude. And so they interviewed him about what went, transpired in his own life, and he talks about his own journey towards gratitude and how it affected his life, how it actually turned around his life. The article states that Kralik's law practice, personal relationships, and financial solvency at one time were in jeopardy for him. And so he decided one January that he was going to spend the rest of that year writing thank you notes to people. He committed to writing 365 of them. He began by writing 10 thank you notes to the people who gave him Christmas gifts that year. Right? 
He then took that new practice and generated it into a book that was titled The Simple Act of Gratitude. And in it, Kralik, who is now a superior court judge in Los Angeles, says that it was because of that subtle change in who he was that he was able to see God in his own life and the need for God in other people's lives. His thank you note process became a a way in which he felt the more present grace of God in his life. And in his article, he states, I think the Bible reflects a very special place in God's heart for people who are appreciative. He cites the story in Luke of the ten lepers. Those of us who remember ten lepers came to Jesus. Jesus heals all ten of the lepers. They all go away except for one. One comes back and says thank you to the Lord, and the Lord gives him a special blessing, right? People who are gracious inhabit the heart of God and experience a blessing from God for it. So let me ask you a question this morning as we kind of wrap up this moment together. What are you focused on yourself in your own life, right? Are you focused on what you don't have and what you think you need and how to get it? Are you focused on yourself? Or are you focused on those that are around you because you are focused on the things that God has given you? Salvation, steadfast love, mercy and grace. Have those things filled your heart to the point that you can now inhabit gratitude and nourish the world around you? Because I said earlier, they cannot inhabit the same space, greed and gratitude. So I hope you hear the invitation from God to let the spiritual fruit of gratitude grow in abundance through your life. Because it will not only nourish your soul, it will nourish the world around you. So here's what I hope you take away from this morning. We're reminded that we've heard the line, greed is good, but in reality, I think we all know that greed is a temporary, self-serving kind of device, and nothing good for the rest of the world comes out of it. It can corrupt. It is evil. It is a bad fruit. We should fast from it. The psalmist, though, knew a secret about life, and the secret was joy, a joy that could produce gratitude, gratitude for God's steadfast love and faithfulness, Gratitude for God's salvation from sin and death. And the psalmist didn't keep that a secret. He told others around him about it as well. And we should learn how to daily inhabit gratitude ourselves. To let that become a fruit of the Spirit that nourishes not only our souls, but nourishes the world around us. And so here's your invitation for today. How often do you thank God for God's basic love and steadfast faithfulness for you? How often do you just pause and thank God? A little girl once wrote a note to God that said, Dear God, I think about you even when I'm not praying. How often do we just simply think about God and through our acts of gratitude inhabit the presence of God who's with us? Or... How often do we find ourselves being greedy about some things? Time, talent, our love, our resources. Do we need to find time to ask for forgiveness so that we might be a person who experiences that change of heart and life so that we might inhabit more gratitude in our lives? Because I believe the fruit of gratitude can not only nourish your soul, it can nourish the world that is around you. So hear God's invitation today to fast from greed so that you might feast 
on gratitude. Would you join with me in prayer? Gracious and holy God, we thank you in this moment that you are one who is steadfast and faithful, that your love is ever-present for us. And even in the moments where our lives wander off somewhere else, you are still there. But when we come back, you have been present and you make your grace known to us. Your love overflows. And for that, O Lord, we are truly grateful. Because if that was not present in our lives, not much else would ever make sense to us. We are also thankful, O God, that we can be a people who can live in gratitude. That it can open our eyes to the folks that are around us. And through our gratitude, we can be of service. We can be of meaningful service to others in this world. So, Lord, we pray that you use us today, that through our gratitude to you, we might share with the world who you are as Savior, as one who liberates. Help us each day, O Lord, to give you thanks, to think of you often, and praise your name for our many blessings. And as we come now to give our gifts to you, O God, we pray that you bless them as well, for we give them from hearts of gratitude to you. And so we are thankful for these moments, these moments where we can praise your name, thank you for our many gifts, where we can announce them to the world. And we pray this in Christ. Amen. So I'm going to invite our ushers to come at this time.